0: we should introduce ourselves mm-hmm. um and this is a better, this is as good a time as any
1: yeah at the beginning
0: right at the beginning mm-hmm. <laughs> do i play the music first yeah let's play the music Thank you for tuning into episode one of trip to the left um i'm tom and i've got fred with me hello <laughs> first full episode first full episode yeah mm-hmm. actually that's true people might have listened to zero um if you did thank you for bearing with mm-hmm. and we're here now to give you some juicy 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 content and i've only just met fred so um yeah this is first time we're talking We've <laughs> we've we've never spoken before, but we think we've got some mutual interests. Mm,
1: I don't know how you knew my name. Oh uh, yeah,
0: well, I think I think because of the the revelation, the thing that I'm about to reveal, which is mm. that I haven't just met Fred, and we aren't going to mm. start off this podcast by telling lies, because the rest of the podcast is going to be all about the truth, and we're going to take a trip with our listeners to new viewpoints try and explore some new ideas um things that we've either kind of considered um in the past or it's the first time we've looked at them we're going to try and be as honest as possible about when it's a viewpoint that we hold we're going to always sort of um try and back up our uh, our kind of um ideas and and kind of what we're talking about with um clips of what we've found across the week that's sort of passed since the previous episode um and we're going to sort of do our best to to give as comprehensive an overview of some viewpoints which aren't going to be as accessible to everybody that's listening and thank you again for deciding to tune in um because you know, the, the media is is not doing the service that we think it should be. And so we're hoping that we can sort of do something to help rectify that. Mm-hmm. But back to the original point, Fred and I have known each other, and this is the bit that we've been dreading sort of having to talk about. But we've known each other for um, 20, it's probably 20 years.
1: Is it 20 years? Uh, yeah, it'll probably be slightly over because I think I was four in reception and it's, I'm now 25. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah so it's, uh, yeah which would be the same for me so um well obviously we met each other on the same day um yeah. <laughs> so um yeah just over 20 and we, i mean we've been um and we've been friends the whole way through
1: yeah essentially in living memory i suppose because like i don't have many strong memories from before that yeah neither do i which is bizarre
0: that's really weird. We've always had projects on the go. We've always had things that we wanted to do. We've like kind of as growing up, um, as children, we would sort of record videos. We'd do sort of stop motion animations. We did a stop motion animation course, didn't we? Um, at our local university, mm-hmm. um, we we did all sorts of things.
1: This is trip to the left, otherwise known as project like fourteen thousand and five or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: what we found here is the perfect storm we found an issue that needs to be solved one that we're passionate about one that we want to be talking about on a weekly basis Mm. we already are talking about on a weekly basis um in fact this is just an excuse to do it twice as often
1: yeah and also i think like a general point on kind of uh in media coverage and like the critique of power like i see a lot of excuses for things like in terms of critical coverage in media of like things that are happening in politics but from from my perspective like the more power you hold the more you should be critiqued and held up to account and have high standards so i see no reason to kind of make excuses
0: completely i think i think the challenge that sort of comes from successful like kind of i say successful reporters but i mean sort of people mainstream reporting and Mm -hmm. and and media is that when you get to that stage you're you're answering to too many people um that Mm -hmm. aren't the viewers like as in you're answering to the person that currently manages the company you're answering to the um the, the the politician's demands in order for the politician to entertain your your sort of time and give you the interview that makes you the exclusive and as soon as you're answering to all of those things um you have certain things you can and can't say um you're following guidelines whether the company guidelines or otherwise and um and and you're you're your viewpoint becomes much more narrow and the challenge that we are setting out on here and the thing that we want to try to try to achieve is sort of um to never be tainted by those sort of
1: um special interests it's like the it's the same same happens in politics as in media in the sense it's like a kind of political media industrial complex of special interests and like in the kind of pursuit of democratization and a free press which we are supposed to have um all of those kind of interests press and question the point of how free it is when kind of billionaires and oligarchs have so much capital to spend on buying media and well and setting up et- new channels and yeah
0: like like they are right now and and i mean um it, it is something which um if we were ever to get to a point where we could have interviews with someone, you know, the kind mm-hmm. of, we will have got there where the the reason they're with us is either, you know, they are happy to be open and transparent about their viewpoints and mm-hmm. speak to us um, authentically, or um, we've created such a demand that they have to. And, and in mm-hmm. which case, like even better, you know, we can sort of um, kind of try to expose some, um, some further sort of and and, and and kind of, do the service that things like this are supposed to be there to do Mm. um i mean in in that same interest it might be worth me talking about sort of um very briefly kind of i think everybody has self-interests and you know kind of the the thing that i do for a living right now is you know run a business and kind of that often tends to sort of skew people's viewpoints on certain subjects as to sort of what's going to benefit them the most and you know it has done for me in the past like I've, I've um, voted certain ways uh, from, from a perspective of what would be best for my business um, but what I like to think about where I am now is that kind of I'm um, no longer looking at sort of this sort of um issue which is growing day by day and i regret even having in the past sort of considered considered my own personal benefits over the benefits of sort of um everybody and so um i i do run a small business but i mean this is more important so um,
1: yeah but it's also in, in in the kind of in our vision of trip to the left uh, as we kind of talked about when you kind of emerge as a political subject and you kind of tend to be somewhere around the middle, and then you kind of, the more you read, the more you learn, the more you can move in ways that are kind of consistent with your values in ways that, that when media is critical and exposes, um, hypocrisies or, um, things like that in the kind of main discourse, then you can move in certain directions. And so like, that's what we're, we're not here to kind of criticize people for anything, no, not Before, at all. it's kind of like informed um, journeys and things.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, the thing that I take in is that i maintained a sort of an open um sort of uh mind when not knowing the things which we've then like you know come to educate ourselves on and um and and it would be great if more people do that and so the idea of trip to the left is going to be and we will get on to uh our first subject in just a moment Mm -hmm. um is is to take that trip and and to sort of not uh you don't have to be sort of um already there you know in order to take an like kind of take an adventure and and figure Mm -hmm. and hear what it is you know that we have to say so um yeah again thank you for the opportunity
1: and wherever we go against stuff that you already believe then just um kind of lend us your ear and and have an open mind and that's kind of what we're interested in
0: we we need the critique the critique of our viewers as well and listeners uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well so yeah um shall we move on to topic number one mm-hmm
1: The military has carried out a coup d'etat in Myanmar. They've seized control of the country and detained key government officials, including the country's de facto leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. So the government of Myanmar,
0: formerly Burma, was couped by the state military on the 1st of February 2021. Aung San Suu Kyi and many members of the National League for Democracy Party, NLD, were jailed on the first day that the parliament met since the November election, where they were elected with a super majority. The military took charge, declaring a state of emergency for one year when a new election will be held. Widespread election fraud was alleged and citizens were informed by state owned media. Mass panic and Internet outages have followed. International backlash has kicked into gear. So... um, this has happened as we record it's happened just a couple of days ago so it's been developing over the last couple of days and the first piece of coverage i saw was from the bbc um straight um, out of the gate 2021 coup on the world stage yeah so give me some of the context that you've managed to accumulate over the last couple of days
1: yeah, so um, bear with us as we kind of like work out the best way of doing this, but we're, we're kind of interested in starting with mainstream coverage and then trying to transition to talking about more specific and kind of general things. Um, in terms of my research, like the main thing to kind of have in mind in terms of context is that uh, they originally cooed in 1962 and they were under military occupation until 2010 um so it's only a recent development that there has been a form of democratization and liberalization uh in Myanmar um which was mostly accomplished by um Sushi who um is the daughter of the um man who originally liberated Myanmar and so she she seemingly sees it as a kind of birthright kind of um destiny kind of thing like she sees it as her job so she's been doing this her entire life um mm-hmm. she's been in and out of house arrest um by the military um in a kind of constant battle and she's like extremely popular uh, across the country and especially with the young in the country who see her as like uh bringing democratic values to the country which has kind of had a very up and down history with its politics because originally it was um a colony of the british empire as we'll, I mean, I think that would be a common theme that we'll get to in a lot of our podcasts is the kind of history of yeah. British imperialism, British colonialism. Um, and so in even since 2010, um, the military has still ha- like held a relatively powerful position. They've been at least uh, a quarter of the government, regardless of election. And they're still written into the constitution um, as like kind of Wielding power, um, and so a lot of kind of critiques of her leadership were the fact that she didn't successfully push the military control out when she became the leader. So I read something,
0: and it was in—I'm—I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh, in fact, I'm not entirely sure, so I won't say. Mm-hmm. But the what I read was um, something along the lines of she managed to discredit herself on the world stage mm-hmm. by doing something a, a few years ago. Yeah, um, and. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, yeah,
1: that, yeah, that's what I was coming to. So she's been doing this kind of through her career and then she came to power um, when they had their first like open elections in terms of like any different people can contest the election. Um, and they won like very kind of roundly um, with her party. And so she's been the leader since 2010, the kind of civilian uh, leader. Um And then, yeah, the main thing that drew criticism from a wide array of like sources was her essentially covering up and seemingly not doing anything about the ongoing genocide of the Rohingya people who have left the country in droves, like over a million, left the country to Bangladesh. And yeah, so this is ongoing by the military as like when uh, Myanmar kind of, modernized and kind of slightly liberalized the rohingya people were left out of the uh citizen kind of definition of like actual a part of the population that kind of had rights and things and so they've been ignored by media and power essentially and they've been like uh they're basically an ongoing human rights right human rights crisis that she's covered up since um becoming leader and the rest of the world including like united nations and things have been looking into it and trying to send aid to it, which she has not accepted.
0: So what, do do we know why she would
1: be covering it up? I mean, this is from a perspective of not knowing much at all about it, but why would she be covering it up? I mean, I, I think uh, to know all the kind of subtleties, you need to know like a lot more of the context. Um, but broadly, it seems to be a dynamic of um, what she has kind of allowed in order to complete her mission of maintaining some form of stable democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it seems like she's kind of made concessions um which like people in the west are very confused by like I saw an interview um by the BBC where they were saying like people were seeing you on the world stage as like a kind of Gandhi like figure um but is it fair to say you're more of perhaps a Thatcher like figure hmm. and she said I wouldn't really compare myself to Thatcher but I'm d- definitely uh not Gandhi. Hmm.
0: So how much do we know about um how she is going about defying or was going about and i mean obviously we've got to come back to the coup in a second but just to kind of frame the picture like kind of frame this a bit more in terms of who she is and what she's done over the over the past kind of i'm i'm kind of interested in i'm not disinterested in the bigger point here which is obviously mm. the, the fact that the military is who the government again and after a super majority mm-hmm. um the person that they elected in just to kind of build this profile up a little bit about her and obviously there's a lot of things here but when it comes to the Rohingya people what was her um, stance in terms of what she said about the lack of like not allowing the UN
1: to uh, intervene and not sort of acknowledging the crisis Mm -hmm. Um, well I mean I don't know too much too much specifics about her personally but Mm -hmm. I but I know that like what the national position is. And then I think there is a lot of unknowns in terms of kind of national relations with the international community, because a lot, a lot has been basically a lot of effort has been spent on trying to draw attention and to make things happen uh, in addressing this crisis. And, and nationally it's been kind of played down and not very transparently dealt with.
0: Makes sense. So, so the coup, Mm -hmm. the government, now is back in control and they're getting for a year what's this year about i mean i've heard about it before with um Mm. other coups like kind of there's this sort of um year break or whatever however long it might be um Mm -hmm. what why is there a year where they've taken back control
1: yeah so i think uh in the way they're framing it for their kind of narrative they've declared like a year long state of emergency essentially um which allows them to kind of take control by force because this was still uh, an open question in their constitution i think um and at the moment there's an 11 member junta which has kind of come together to rule the nation so there's 11 of them from high up in the military who are now in power and the way they've kind of communicated like a reason why they've done this um is that they have alleged widespread voter fraud and brought into question the mm-hmm. validity of the election um sounds
0: a little bit like America,
1: yeah, and that, that was an ex- that was exactly the link which I was gonna make in terms of uh it seems scarily similar to some people's predictions of what could have happened yeah. uh, after the u s election recently. yeah, it's almost like yeah. in a parallel universe where like the u s institutions aren't as strong and this is this is what like an attempt uh, what Trump could make an attempt to do if he yeah. felt so inclined and if the institutions hadn't been as Robust.
0: Yeah. And they're not, I mean, another subject for another day, but I mean, mm. uh, it's sort of the fact that they, this managed to sort of, th- that the America managed to rectify itself wasn't something that we could have guaranteed, I don't think, at no, the time. And- exactly. And, and
1: American <laughs> citizens who, who kind of realized that that's the strength of their institutions was perhaps all that like kind of stood between them and this possible difference is like not a good place to be. I don't think too many of them would be that confident in them. Mm. No,
0: no, for sure. Um, not when you can look at the corruption in those institutions and mm-hmm. and sort of the individual um preferences of the people who make the decisions and, and and all of that um so what's the international reaction been
1: yeah so internationally i mean a lot of a lot of uh media has focused it on the international reaction as in like seeing it as a test for for example the new biden administration um the new people in charge okay. of international relations and things um which you know is kind of understandable, but obviously like the actual kind of crisis is what's going on in the country. But mostly it seems that uh, the kind of reaction has been like negative as in uh, like most major nations are um, kind of seeing this as something which shouldn't be happening and are like at least playing paying lip service to um, kind of saying you need to stop, you need to um, maintain your democracy that you've kind of gained. And, but it seems like there's not going to be any kind of direct intervention. Um, but it seems like most of the kind of reaction will play out through sanctions. It will be a kind of economic, you know, not, yeah. not so much a war, but a kind of... Yeah,
0: like kind of you, you almost uh, cripple yeah. an econ- economy to the point where it can't function without uh, the change that you're suggesting
1: that they have to make in order for those sanctions to be lifted. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting point I saw in when I was looking up a bit of the history, which was like the change from it being originally called Burma was it actually changed to Myanmar under military occupation the first time. And so a lot of countries refused to call them Myanmar as like a kind of like slightly not recognising their regime kind of thing. And in the US, they're still known as officially as Burma. But Myanmar has like kind of fallen into common parlance because it's just more used now. Do you
0: know why, what, what the motives of the military uh, sort of was when they wanted to rename it Myanmar? Is it to remove the history of the, of, of the country almost like to sort of um, try and remove that? Or what would, or, we, or do we not know?
1: Um, I mean, I don't know specifically too, too um, much detail, but I think they both mean a similar thing and they're just different like words for it. But I, I, I'm not sure if it was something which was kind of supposed to signal a beginning of a new regime or something. Uh, oh yeah, so, so it's also a, a majority Buddhist country uh, and then the rohingya people are a muslim minority in the country yeah um so so this leader su chi um is very popular with the burmese people generally but the rohingya are very unpopular with the burmese majority generally and so it's it's a kind of left move in the sense that it's in, an increase in democracy but it's a very nationalist move and mm. the way she's kind of handled that has been incredibly nationalist and quite kind of racist in terms of like defining the population of Burma as the Burmese and excluding the Rohingya explicitly um and there's literally there's literally been satellite evidence of like burned villages and things where um the military has attempted ethnic cleansing to some degree
0: wow and so when when she was running the country um did she, how much control did she have over the military? I mean, we're talking about the fact that the military maintained sort of 25% sort of control mm. over the country. I mean, so I'm assuming the answer is not much, but like when...
1: This, this is the question. I mean, I think it's relatively murky, but I think they had kind of dual power, but I don't think she had much direct power over them. But I think it was seen internationally that perhaps she, if she manoeuvred more aggressively, she could have like taken control of that and she could have rewritten the constitution or, or attempted to. But she has seemingly been that she's basically accomplished her mission, but she didn't kind of aggressively move enough to get rid of the threat, which has now come back and has only been sleeping, seemingly. Hmm.
0: How much of of a sort of warning was there that this was on the cards to happen? Uh, Was it something that kind of unexpected as it was when we read the headlines? Or was it something that has been sort of rumored or threatened for a while?
1: Yeah, I think it was somewhat similar to the U.S. in terms of there was clearly tensions rising. Um, and for the last few months, um, especially since the election, I think there's, the tension has been very high um, and the kind of uh, allegations of voter fraud and things like that have only mounted. And so I think it was a surprise that it happened when it did. And it happened so suddenly and so totally. But I think to some degree it was it was like a possibility, basically. Um and they, they did it like literally on the day, hours before parliament was going to meet for the first time, this new parliament, um, in like the kind of early hours of the morning. And they just took the leader and lots of members of the party into confinement and there's not much transparency. And then they explained the situation from their point of view on state-owned media.
0: And and other media...
1: How much of a media outlet is there in,
0: in Myanmar? Like, did the... Um... Did the other channels go down I, I think i saw something along the lines of yeah um, yeah some went off didn't they mm-hmm.
1: yeah i think a lot of the channels were taken down at the same time it was quite a unilateral maneuver um and there's actually there's actually a video um i don't know if you've seen it where this woman is doing a like a zoom fitness class uh and she's kind of in front of the coup that's happening and she doesn't know and she's entirely unaware and this loud music is playing, and she's dancing, and these cars are driving in the background, and have like sealed off the road and stuff.
0: Wow! Wow! Yeah. So what's the, what's the um, what are the people in Myanmar? Do? I mean, obviously, I've seen the the scenes about unrest in terms of like kind of, mm. with, I guess, withdrawing money from the banks and yeah. sort of those sorts of things. What's their reaction to it?
1: Um, I think the difference between like the US that we're drawing alleg- that we're drawing kind of parallels with. Is that like they have lived under occupation for a long time, and it's only a kind of recent democratization, and it's only very, it's only been tenuous the entire time. So they're kind of this isn't like anything breathtakingly new to them. So there's not yeah. the same kind of panic that maybe um, would set in otherwise. Uh, and I think a lot of people are afraid to kind of act too directly. Um, but Su Kyi herself, uh, in like some kind of statement that got out um seem to be calling for like demonstrations, which people aren't sure if she means like kind of how physical, how direct. But I mean I think there's stuff coming out of like people banging pots and pans in protest, people honking horns. I think it's yet to reach a kind of fever pitch of direct action, but there's been a lot of kind of uh performative actions against it. Um and I think people are also where where like internet's down and stuff people are struggling to kind of understand what's happened and understand what they might be able to do but as she was such a popular leader and what she had done was very popular with the population i think a lot of people are very upset
0: Mm, it'll be interesting to see how how it plays out in terms of the the next uh couple of weeks and Mm -hmm. and uh to probably come back and revisit
1: was there anything else that you wanted to touch on oh she won the uh, nobel peace prize um, oh, I read about that. Yeah, for um, what she did originally, which like now many people are calling for it to be revoked after kind of how she's behaved in office. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, actually, yes, there is something else, which is quite interesting, um, which is that a lot of the people in protest, um, a lot of I saw doctors and medical staff have been adopting the three finger salute from the Hunger Games as a sign of protest um
0: so i saw this happening somewhere else as well didn't yeah uh, yeah that's yeah yeah,
1: that's why it it was really interesting to me because i remember seeing this at the time with thailand and people who were um who were uh, protesting the royal family uh and a lot of them because i think in thailand they have one of like the wealthiest royal families like in history or something crazy um and they were all using the three finger salute from the hunger games to show Mm -hmm. to signal peacefully their descent and they've also been wearing like red bows and things, ribbons. Um, Interesting. Oh yeah. And so the, and um, the allegation made by the military against her was that she has illegally imported communications equipment where they said she had walkie talkies in her home or something. Like that was the official charge on her um, imprisonment kind of paperwork.
0: Was that, that she's got sort of something like walkie talkies. Mm hmm interesting
1: yeah so it seems very kind of specific and small <laughs> yeah a it's charge. sort of
0: like how, how do we get a warrant to uh arrest this yeah. person um well she's got walkie-talkie so <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> let's make sure she yeah <laughs> let's get <it> for that <laughs> um over and out <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> okay
1: um Some like i guess i can just see any like, kind of other, other facts if there's any interesting stuff um like i said population's like 53 million or so um so they're just not too, too much smaller than the uk in terms of population
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, i've just seen as well that like, kind of the um it, it it looks like the well as a direct result of the Rohingya, uh, genocide um it was seven hundred thousand refugees that fled abroad mm-hmm. um i'm looking at pictures right now of the um, Sort of those 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 yeah. destroyed villages that you were talking about. I think it's
1: also difficult to get numbers on it because they've been so um, opaque about it, and because they're not really defined as an actual population. Yeah, they're not no, like included yeah. in censuses and things, which makes it really difficult. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, I'm sure it could be greater. Just sort of looking at this sort of direct um, quote, and yeah. and then the the, um, the the time in which this genocide was sort of um, taking place. It's sort of october 2016 to january 2017 and then from august 2017 to present so there was a a sort of eight month uh window where it sort of seems to maybe i mean i need to look we'll we'll need to look into this more but um Mm. where it sort of stopped and then it's gone on for four years since then i mean the it's a weird position to find ourselves in where we sort of want the 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 democratization of of a country to sort of take place but the person that sort of is uh has been taken out of office is is someone with questionable um sort of leadership qualities yeah um
1: but i mean i think that's like relatively common in terms of like yeah true uh figures like you know problematical problematic figures um yeah
0: the, the challenge with it is, though, is, is sort of that um, it becomes easier to dismiss a, a mm-hmm. problem when the solution is has its own issues. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, kind of talking about reinstating the kind of the the the, the wish of the people in terms of the outcome of the supermajority in, yeah. in the election. Obviously, that's the outcome that yeah. should be. Sort of but I mean, but I mean, it-
1: most most of the critiques you could make of it would be like, to some degree, made better by increasing the. Uh, amount that that country has been democratized because like once the rohingya people are recognized as citizens and are mm-hmm. able to vote and there's sure. open elections um there would be parties springing up like there would be rohingya based parties there would be um coalitions looking to be formed uh and so like that comes on to the wider topic of just democratization in general
0: yeah yeah
1: um which i was looking at an interesting thing which was like a um there was a project which was supposed to rate how uh, democratic uh, different nations were across the world. Um, it was an interesting study. And they did like a color-coded um, image, which um, I found quite interesting. Um, okay. But it was also, Maybe We'll put
0: that in the show notes. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, but it's also interesting to look at their method for uh, divining that and like what their kind of gold standard was oh yeah the other the other interesting fact was that they um were visited by obama um and it was like the first uh presidential visit to myanmar um at the time oh right wow yeah talking of, talking about problematic figures um <laughs>
0: um yeah it's an interesting map isn't it i mean uh when it comes to how red that map is it's sort of overwhelmingly uh sort of it's it's authoritarian regime sort of is much more present in a world map than you would want or expect them to be um yeah and it's it's interesting that we are colored in as Hmm it looks like we've just made the cut as a full democracy but i mean it's mm-hmm. it's not dark, it's not the dark green but it is also it interesting
1: not... because you cuz it's it's so dependent on your spectrum right because if you're a democratic socialist or someone or someone even further to the left then like the ones which are dark green are certainly not full democracies
0: no no sure sure i mean i guess that comes back down to the definition of it and mm-hmm. and uh um, I'm trying to find that whilst I read. But it's, uh, so the ones,
1: uh, the ones they have for, on the most democratic are the kind of, um, are Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, Ireland, Iceland, and then kind of Scandinavian countries, um, and I think Switzerland, um, and a couple yeah. in South America. Um, but yeah, they're they're the only ones which kind of make the top level in their rating system.
0: It makes you wonder, like, why. um, I, I don't know. It just feels like when you look at a map like that, when it's so, so visually mm-hmm. sort of um, illustrated, it just makes you suddenly think like kind of, well, why is, why, why isn't something being done about it? That's more than is being, I mean, I know it's a really kind of almost naive question, but mm-hmm. it's sort of when you look at it, like a map like that, and just sort of like, well, surely we can all agree that a yeah. democracy, like if, even if it, if, even if the definition's flawed in terms of kind of what gets dark green on this map um is it sort of uh and then obviously we've got kind of russia in a dark orange which is sort of edging towards the the deep red which um well it seems to exist across areas in africa but also i'm just looking for north korea oh okay yeah i found north korea (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and sort of so when we've got those sort of lighter oranges in certain places across the african continent and then um but it's it's um just because i've realized we might be doing that radio hit mistake of uh yeah. not quite giving the full context of what we're talking about but you're right in um, terms
1: of uh, th- that's why it appealed to me was that it was just so striking and yeah. in, in like putting a visual way uh um, yeah so yeah like you can look at it for yourselves but it's, it's quite a good way of making it front and center
0: yeah i tell you what another thing t- good to do when you look at this and think wow that's quite dark orange and red is then go onto that website that lets you compare the real size of the countries to each other Mm. and um and and then sort of take into context some of these countries which are you know they they look five times bigger than the UK but they're like 10 times larger than the UK and they are deep red or whatever um
1: and you can skew for population things like for yeah yeah like in the um uh, Wikipedia, like article on the, D- the democracy index, they have the listings of like what percentage of the population live under each of those kinds of regimes, uh, as sorted by them, um, mm-hmm. which was quite interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of so the classification of a full democracy, on this map is a nation where civil liberties and fundamental political freedoms are not only respected but also reinforced by a political culture conducive to the thriving of democratic principles um so yeah i mean defining those principles and everything then it's sort of quite interesting isn't it how deep you have to go before you sort of um can can really land on an opinion um
1: yeah and interestingly it was also conducted uh in the uk um it was a uk-based private company that publishes in the economist so yeah look, look world population um in a full democracy, supposedly, world population, 8- eight eight 8.4%, flawed democracies, 41%, hybrid regimes, 15%, and authoritarian regimes,
0: 35%. Okay, well, this is a kind of wider ranging and and um, sort of uh, subject that we need, to, that a lot of, I think, what the podcast is going to be about is going to have to come and touch on. So mm-hmm. that background is something that we'll have to come back to and, and look into more detail. Um, So the second subject that um, we kind of wanted to touch on uh, today is um, around the Labour messaging uh, regarding the current coronavirus um, restrictions and the travel ban that uh, they are uh, supporting. More so and and more kind of um, viciously, or however you want to put it, more fervently than they have um, many other sort of uh, opposition Um, kind of viewpoints in terms of kind of more recent politics and Mm -hmm. and what Boris Johnson's been doing. So the ruling party of the UK, the Conservatives, moved to increase measures to limit infections by locking down international travel over after refusing to do so for many months. And with the threat of new strains, which may pose a threat to vaccination immunity, the UK Labour Party has been putting out messaging targeted at Red Wall voters, which can be seen as anti-immigration in rhetoric. So the the messaging in terms of language has been very focused on closing the borders. Yeah. Um, and considering the votes that the Labour Party lost in the most recent general election, mm-hmm. um, which is referred to as the Red Wall, they are seeing it as strategically advantageous to talk about the isolation of the uk from the world's sort of travel um as feeding into the language of the incentives of those who voted for the conservatives mm. uh, from an anti-immigration stamp sort of
1: standpoint they're trying to court the vote of bigots essentially as in that they are uh so i think because keir starmer is seemingly obsessed with um focus groups i think it's a kind of thing where immigration is a big issue for northern voters in focus groups and so he's trying to position himself in a way that would be received well by those kinds of voters mm.
0: that makes me think of the um i don't think you've uh watched it yet What um, um, vice the film that i watched recently oh yeah um, about dick cheney um and Um, the focus groups that they sort of um, Mm. conducted then for the rebranding of things like global warming to be uh, Mm -hmm. climate change and stuff just to soften the sort of um, to to soften the edge of it and make it seem slightly nicer and more pleasant to um, sort of and in, in this case it's sort of interesting how from a sort of um, a language perspective everything's everything's being ramped up in terms of the um the tone and the aggression that it sort of holds the, the, the strength of the messaging and I mean um the culture war that it's feeding into is mm-hmm. sort of being bolstered isn't it to kind of get a uh, a more immediate strategic advantage to, for the party I mean that that's the sort of thing that you can see just being like the f- blowing on flames you know like kind of yeah. as a catalyst for um yeah uh holding these sort of focus groups is going to
1: come out with that sort of rhetoric in yeah terms of the- and, and generally i think like people in power i mean he doesn't hold that much power as opposition but as like like leader of one of the two kind of electable parties in like a t- first past the post system i think people who are so who maneuver themselves so passively in the sense that they are merely reacting. And like, that's pretty much typified his leadership so far as being a reactive leader and not kind of proactive in almost any way. Like he kind of comes out and, and demands things that are about to happen and things like this. Um, Almost after they have happened. Yeah. Uh, And so I think, I think a lot is to be said about the idea that you kind of construct a majority as well as kind of try to find one. As in like you you have a big mouthpiece as a leader of party, and so what you talk about will have a lot of sway and how you talk about it. so if he if he has a lot of values which he holds strong, and he, well, I mean he was elected on his ten promises, which we're yet to see how strong those are going to be, but he in my opinion, he should be trying to kind of construct a majority with his kind of bold vision rather than merely reacting.
0: Yeah, like finding trying to find the, the majority within existing viewpoint. Like it's sort of yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's...
1: Because there is a majority for all kinds of um change. And I mean there's even like a huge block of people who don't vote who aren't engaged. But yeah, but yeah. I think I think generally it seems like the more he does this kind of thing, the more he is taking for granted the kind of base of the Labour Party who might become alienated to the point of not wanting to support him or um I maybe mean, people are leaving the party in droves currently.
0: I mean, is is that still an active sort of exodus and crisis of the part, like within the part? I mean, is yeah. it it's still? I mean, that's um, such a shame to hear because I mean, the, I mean, unless everybody moves, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how yeah. leaving is ever gonna. I know. Uh, work with, with a with the political system being as it is and the way that we kind of construct a majority government. Um, with the first-past-the-post system, I mean, without being a number that gets to dictate... Well, dictate, <laughs> sort of wrong choice <laughs> of words. Um, that Without being a number that gets to um, participate in the decisions, kind of the, the direction that a party that actually has a chance of winning an election um, tackles what's going to happen with all these people leaving the party. I mean, that just mm-hmm. feels like a, um, a disaster happening not waiting to happen yeah i mean
1: i mean i think the, the the main exodus was like around uh the jeremy corbyn things which kind of under jeremy corbyn the party grew to i think one of if not the most the largest party in europe and the most kind of democratic party in europe um which is a kind of often overlooked fact um and then lots of members have been leaving um over this kind of stuff and also he's been him personally, in some instances, seemingly, um, but like in management and the high up, the kind of upper echelons of the party have been um, kicking out a lot of people who've been speaking up about various things.
0: Yeah, I mean, we need to cover that subject as well um, in a future podcast. I think the um, it's 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 interesting as well the parallels um, to be drawn with the idea of this sort of left uh, left wing party with nationalist uh tendency mm-hmm. and that whole idea that we were talking about with um the issues in Myanmar um mm-hmm. and and the idea that that same issue sort of is is existing here isn't it absolutely
1: um, it's a very similar dynamic because i think in terms of like the rise of populism generally like both left and right i think there's been like a big surge in, big surge in kind of nationalist rhetoric where even kind mm-hmm. of left positioning parties use the kind of uh general consensus around nationalism as a kind of uh large wedge wedge issue which they can then push things through on but like the actual ramifications of that kind of uh messaging like goes far beyond the platform mm. they're trying to deliver on
0: anything else that you wanted to cover
1: off in this segment um I think maybe just like a general point around which we'll definitely come into more detail in later episodes, but in terms of like, how many concessions do you make to power in order to gain power? Because that's the only time you can really change things from the top. Um, And about like, I think generally there's too much focus on how, how do we be practical? How do we get things done? And not so much focus on let's do the right things. As in a lot of stuff can get done that are really bad. So it's not just about efficiency um, and practicality. It's also about like the decisions that are made and who has that power. And I think that's an issue which we'll probably touch on quite a few times. Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree. I think there's a lot to be spoken about with the Labour Party. Well, I mean, obviously, yeah. we've sort of, um, uh, spoken about this very specific and current Ooh. thing that's happening.
1: So yes. should we unpack our baggage around that? Go for it. Um, because... I am a member of the Labour Party and I've been a member of the Labour Party since I think about uh, 2015, maybe. Um, I joined under Corbyn. I didn't vote for Keir Starmer um, and I'm now trying to get more involved uh, locally with the Labour Party.
0: Yeah, I mean, my baggage is sort of um, that I um, I am a member of the Labour Party. Um, I'm also a member of, um, and as are you momentum, mm-hmm. um, within the Labour party. Yeah. Um, I am a recent member, much, uh, much more recent than Fred this year. Uh, where are we? Maybe it was the other side of, um, yeah. the new year. Um, uh, yeah, I think it was, and, um, but that's partly down to a sort of delayed actioning of uh, a kind of a decision made a, a bit before. And, and so mm. it's been an ongoing thing for a while. I've never been a member of another party. Um, mm. So it sort of it is the first party I've been a member of. Um, I'm also going to be looking to, to do more things locally um, in terms of my membership with Labour. Um,
1: I also think with with you, you kind of came to individual politics first in terms of some of your... Um, kind of like renewable efforts and all that, all those kinds of things. And then like oh, yeah. have come to kind of collective orientated politics a bit later, but are now kind of getting involved as much as possible.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, that it's sort of, it's, it's weird when you look back at the journey to where, where we are now, it's hard to kind of pinpoint the things where, the, you know, the things where I first thought X and Y. I mean, I, I don't think it's actually, it's sort of, when you look back at it, it doesn't feel like, oh, I, first started thinking this then i mean it kind of feels like i realized that this is how to articulate
1: the thing that i thought before or yeah you know
0: when i heard the alternative when i heard the options it was kind of a no-brainer that i thought this and
1: yeah and um, i think a lot of people are in that position in terms of like being depoliticized i think definitely too much criticism is leveled at people who have like only recently kind of come to political consciousness and mm -hmm. like it's only like uh where are you now and where are you going and like yeah. hearing things what do you think about it so that's what we're interested in doing here
0: yeah absolutely yeah because i mean i um i was in sort of a, f- a fair bit of a uh a sticky point in terms of what i was uh you know the things that i voted for in the past have been m- much more um persuaded by um my immediate sort of requirements and mm-hmm. and that's an interesting thing because when you look at the the way that kind of um and we're talking about it here you know the the, the demands of or, or finding a majority that kind of idea of mm-hmm. like kind of you know finding people's viewpoints using it to, to your advantage I mean um and and the fact that people's viewpoints are becoming more and more severe with less and less sort of um exposure to the um the the, the the topics that they are being sold on but kind of the headlines being enough to to sway someone from one side mm. of the story to another um it's it's interesting because I mean I fell foul of it you know probably in, in terms of the the because the, I, I voted to remain when Brexit mm. sort of was voted on but um when it came to the um the, the latest general election, which was more a referendum, wasn't it? I mean, it yeah. depends how you look at it, but I mean, it was a, a, re- a general election wrapped up in well, it was a, a referendum wrapped up in um, general election, general election yeah. Clothes, yeah. Um, and I was at a point where you know the the, the Brexit was causing me so, and, and Labour didn't take a very clear stance. Mm-hmm. bad I, I think it, the clear the clearest thing that he could have said that Jeremy Corbyn could have said was you know we're going to try and be unbiased, educate um, the population and let them vote for what,
1: you know, which is kind of what it was. But also, also, Keir Starmer was possibly the most instrumental role in Labour adopting the position which they did, which ultimately Mm. seemed like was the largest thing in bringing them to ruin.
0: Oh, I would almost, yeah. I mean, that would be, I would assume the main, the main, I mean, that's based on what
1: I hear look into about it yeah we can do a whole thing on that as well but i, but I also think it's worth noting like uh, like i said to you at the time in in a system that's more democratic if everyone votes on their own interest that's not a problem because then like de facto the interest of the majorities will more often be represented um and it's only like to the extent that uh yeah. things aren't democratic or people aren't very well informed and there's like large biases and we live in a very undemocratic system that like, in a, in a, in a more perfect world, that in itself wouldn't be a problem. And like also in a, in a more perfect world, I suppose people would view more and more people as part of their interest in anyway. But that itself wouldn't be an issue, I don't think.
0: Yeah, and and in a more perfect world, um, people would be slightly more educated on yeah. the um, <laughs> the subjects that they're voting on. You know, as in, um, I you more invested. Defi- exactly um so whilst we're on the subject of the Labour Party the the kind of the final thing I guess that to mention there is that um Labour there was a leak yesterday from our time um sort of that Labour had a presentation um kind of internally circulated not yet kind of completely distributed throughout the party that was um telling people to dress smarter um and uh sort of associate more with the you know like kind of the union flag mm-hmm. um and uh yeah that that <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure there was one other thing there were three oh it's I, I think it was sort of um it was veterans wasn't it it was kind of oh, um, yeah yeah so it was union flag veterans and dressing smartly and that that kind of rubs off better on uh, the, what, how they are presented. And I mean, mm. weirdly, when reading sort of the coverage that I was about this, um, it says that the Labour leader, Keir Starmer, is rated by voters as the party's biggest positive driver. However, concerns were voiced about him sitting on the fence.
1: <laughs> I actually caught a, bit, a little bit of PMQs today um, where Boris Johnson accused him of constantly... Having focus groups and then just hearing that he is basically using too many focus groups.
0: Boris Johnson's um, like kind of very, it's funny watching Keir Starmer versus Boris Johnson, isn't it? Like isn't mm-hmm. when they take, and they like like they'll they'll talk about that each other's inadequacies and like kind of Boris Johnson's like kind of. Um, I mean, you can see how someone from his background, you know, and and kind of all these different kind of, and you know the where they all sort of get educated the same place and come through you can see how um he could win debates just by being the funny guy that could win a debate that's sort of almost how it comes across it's sort of like he's funny with the way that he does the political thing which is to politely sort of and more and more rudely like as in as, Mm -hmm. as time seems to be going on sort of deconstruct the opposition and talk about their flaws and kind of in theory that should be a healthy dynamic if 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 you know when I say in theory I mean sort of as far as how it's supposed to be mm-hmm. how it how it came into practice like kind of would be a healthy dynamic which means that one uncovers the in it like the deficiencies of the other but at the moment it's much more kind of um it doesn't seem so much like that it just seems like a you know uh, Two, two people arguing um, but in a really uh, quite funny way it's yeah quite, it's...
1: And, and kind of the pointing out of hypocrisy by someone who's kind of overseeing a rolling disaster in terms of public health and like the kind of myriad hypocrisies and uh shouldn't be hard no
0: it shouldn't be hard I mean the the the, the terrible way in which I mean weirdly we spoke we, we touched on something um, earlier I think it might have been as simple as you mentioning Australia, because we were looking at the, the map of um, mm. kind of functioning democracies. And I was thinking about how, you know, how well they've managed to clamp down on on this and, and basically get rid of coronavirus. And and, mm. and and one of the things that they did was, you know, implemented travel bans. Um, they didn't close the borders. They, well, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, also
1: and- I think it's important that they've adopted like a zero COVID policy, which is something that like a lot of, Uh, local Labour councils are pushing for currently that the government adopt because they've taken a very hard line on COVID. Um, And in Australia especially, uh, I mean, their government is, I I, I see a lot to criticise there, but at least like a lot of the kind of heads of state there are entirely washing their hands of like kind of big business pressures. And they're saying like, yes, you're saying this is important, but nothing is more important than public health.
0: But yeah, Australia seems to... um... I've done a few things right recently where we haven't
1: yeah um but i suppose remember the beginning of 2020 with the wildfires um and kind of how much the scale of that was potentially avoidable um and also like the party that's in power of the two big parties like they are the conservative party although they're not they're called the liberal party um which kind of adds to the complicated mm-hmm. use of the word liberal in any part of the world um wow. But their Labour government is the one out of power. And also their, their leader is the one who infamous who kind of became infamous when he brought in a lump of coal to their um government and said, like, this is coal, don't be afraid of it. Um God. you know. I, I wasn't I wasn't
0: saying that um <laughs> the, the 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 thing to aspire to be. I mean the other thing that happened um was it is it Malcolm what's his uh surname? Tucker. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of who it was. Um,
1: Turnbull or something? Yeah,
0: Turnbull. Because um, he did that really interesting interview that I sent you, and, oh, and yeah. kind of we can come back on. Um, but basically, he was talking about being pushed out, and that the that was all sort of being driven significantly by Murdoch and mm-hmm. and all that. So, oh, I, w- I wasn't saying that they were right. I was just saying that they've got no. done a couple of
1: things right. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, especially around COVID, like them and New Zealand, uh, as well as like a lot of the kind of East Asian countries have like done things that we can pretty much only dream of and like yes. are pretty much pretending we've done uh, like the, the, it, it seems like currently the vaccine rollout is going like relatively well. But other than that, there isn't really many places to.
0: Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think um, the the vaccine rollout going as well as it is, is kind of down to the fact that they, the government must be at least somewhat conscious of the fact that it's the only thing they yeah. can say, like kind of draw to a close, the thing that they've made. And and the worry now being kind of what if the strains are more resistant to the vaccine that we're running? That would be, I think, kind of the unforeseen sort Yeah. Of, um. Uh, thing that really just sc- screws up what um the government at least is trying to get from this crisis you know in terms of the terrible death rates that have been going on i mean all based on the idea that th- the vaccines are coming well you know um uh, let's get them out there but it should be avoided. Yeah.
1: i know and it's it reminds me of the depressing um sentiment i saw recently which is like the uk is the us of europe and it does very much feel like that yeah, sometimes. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that is depressing. That is depressing. So on to our final subject for today, uh, what I'm realizing is that I started the episode slightly more um, robotically going from topic to topic. It's much better just have a conversation. There we go. We learn. Um, yeah,
1: we're tri- we're tripping to the left and uh, we're one? learning. You're learning with us. That's the idea.
0: Yeah, I just hope that they've got as far as this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um <laughs>
0: So um, basically the the final thing that we want to touch on is um, the new Biden administration has introduced a bill that would raise the federal minimum wage in the US to $15 an hour by 2025. Um, So the clip that we're about to play is from MSNBC um, and it's a report that they uh, did on the subject, which um, can be found on Bernie Sanders' YouTube channel. So this clip is from there. Um, the reporter, Ali Valshi, uh, I hope I've got that right, Ali Valshi, um, has just explained um, in this clip that there is a current federal minimum wage that $7.25 an hour. Um, so if someone worked full time earning that, they'd earn just $15,080 in the year. Um, the proposed new minimum wage is $15 an hour, making it that they would earn a total of 31200 Um, He also mentions that this in itself would uh, be difficult to survive on if you were the sole wage earner. Um, And it's also uh, going to be phased in over, I mean, as we've said, by 2025 over the next few years, so it's not an immediate thing. But this is what Bernie Sanders had to say.
1: Well, I think clearly we are making progress, not only uh, in the Congress, we're making progress with the American people in state after state, when $15 an hour minimum wage is on the ballot, it wins. Anybody with a brain in his or her head understands you can't live on seven and a quarter, you can't live on 10, you can't live on 12 bucks an hour. We got half the people in this country, Ali, who are living paycheck to paycheck, and we've got to raise that minimum wage to at least 15 bucks an hour, a living wage.
0: I mean to think of um, fifteen dollars an hour being the thing that they're arguing for.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the, the, there's so much. There's so much that we can unpack in terms of like the emergence of it as a phenomenon to start with, like the concept of a minimum wage. Like, kind of, yeah. I, I think it came from like kind of post-war labor government in terms of the kind of beginning of the social safety net idea.
0: It was the Labour Party that introduced the minimum wage, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: And like, and the kind of the Labour movement generally brought us like the weekend and like maximum working hours and kind of got rid of um, child labour and things. Um, But also in terms of the interest of unpacking our baggage, I'd also say that like, I am just a big supporter of Bernie Sanders generally, and I find him like a very kind of.
0: Oh, yeah, me too.
1: (laughs) cogent communicator and kind of likeable person and kind of forward there's there's many criticisms of him that i agree with but like just generally i'm quite well disposed to him as a kind of political communicator and politician
0: yeah well i think um we we've got the same baggage there Mm -hmm. uh i mean one of the more depressing things um is the the idea that you know he could have been the he could have been the president
1: well Um, i mean it was very tempting to see the parallels between him and corbyn uh and representing uh, a kind of left populist flavor in like UK US politics, and then the kind of right populist represented by Trump and Boris, like there's kind of irresistible parallels to be drawn there, and it's like, but
0: yeah, I mean, I uh, just talking about that sort of um, Bernie Corbyn sort of era of kind of hope. Um, I think there's something to be said for the idea that it put the left to sleep, maybe, um, in the idea that think that change was coming or something. I don't know. I mean, I feel like. Um, It's sort of there was such potential there, wasn't there? And I want—I just don't know, like, kind um, of—I just can't see the logic of the 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 conversations and the interviews that Bernie was doing, um, kind of pre-election and when he was running as nominee. Um, If anybody listened to him for twenty minutes, I can't see what they would be opposed to about what he was proposing. You know, like he talks about the with the healthcare and stuff and we'll come around to this again we're talking about minimum wage here but like kind of you know he talks so clearly and succinctly about very obvious issues and how they can be solved and then like kind of the 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 normal sort of um rhetoric that comes up when it when you know when you bring up that subject Mm -hmm. um and he he answers those things in terms of how are you going to raise the money to do it or like how can the businesses afford to do yeah like like
1: Uh, as was thrown into sharp relief very recently with the kind of Wall Street bets things, which we'll probably come on to in a later episode, um, like, uh, he was proposing the tiniest tax on Wall Street speculation, uh, which would, like, generate kind of so much money that they could pay for all kinds of public programs on the smallest, taking, like, the smallest bit off the top on the speculation on the market. Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, there you go. I mean, so... Um, I mean, I guess Bernie's sentiment uh, was that they're making progress and Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, even in a state like Florida, they got something like um, 61% of the vote. Florida being a place where to communicate something like, you know, the benefits of having a minimum wage, it wasn't necessarily a sure thing, but they Mm -hmm. still voted it by what's currently kind of, I mean, 61%. That's a pretty good majority in a a, country.
1: That's what I mean in terms of like, you you there is a there is a majority there to be constructed around proposals that are kind of quite universally popular and definitely more popular than would you would believe like kind of consuming mainstream news in either country like mm. if you read again we'll probably come onto this in more detail but stuff like manufacturing consent like chomsky's critique of the media economy um you just, you really see, and especially you saw both with Corbyn and uh, Bernie's uh, campaigns, you saw like the kind of power that the media wield to slander people who pose a threat to their power or to their um, kind of hegemony and like the special interests they serve quite often.
0: Yeah, so much power. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's, it's so... Um... Shocking when you look at what they are able to do using the tools that they have to their disposal,
1: I yeah, because it really is like the amount of power you occupy in terms of political power uh to do things like there's there's almost just as powerful a role for kind of the uh translators of like discourse, kind of the people who have the most attention and like the the platforms have the most attention are the ones who basically set the parameters and like what people believe and how they position themselves then translates to what is going to be done or not done. So that is, that's almost just as powerful a role really, isn't it?
0: Definitely. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I agree. So um, when it comes to the minimum wage um, in that like kind of in the US, was there anything else that you sort of feel is worth
1: us touching on this week? Or well, maybe very quickly, well, the idea that it's 2025 is like there's the debate around it needs to be now and also how quickly can it be done Mm -hmm. on the federal level um and also the idea that there doesn't like i can i can see cases for and against the idea that there isn't a national minimum wage but there's kind of local minimum wages to what extent like it could be state by state it could be um because the thing is there's a massive difference in different places where you live uh in, in the kind of living cost and like there's there's an i think just very top level. There's a good argument for it has to be national or it's just going to be brought down everywhere kind of individually. Um, And the idea that like in some places it should be much higher than that. And in some places it should be quite a bit higher than that. I mean, a lot of countries already tie it to like national um, productivity and things like that. And it's kind of reviewed annually, um, which is another way which uh, you can look up the graph in terms of like the departure in the US between the minimum wage Um, and productivity and like in the 80s it kind of completely departs and productivity has gone up since and minimum wage has stagnated so that would already be one simple protection that would mean it's at least uh ongoingly reviewed rather than not being like i think the last time it was raised was like uh 2010 or 2012 and it wasn't raised by much
0: i mean i think it was either america or england um where the minimum wage would be if it followed the um rate mm. of increase that like the economy and everything it would be 30 dollars or pounds by now
1: yeah something something like that yeah and then with with this um show um we're going to try to like not focus so entirely on us and uh, uk as a lot of platforms do but quite often i think we'll we'll use s- stories that you might have heard around there because we're presuming that will be our audience at least initially yeah um to kind of jump off and then talk about bigger issues yeah um and kind of we're tripping to the left um, with you. So we're kind of working out the best way of um, doing all of this. And we're going to try and w- work out the best way of explaining all the context and moving the conversation, unpacking our baggage, um, which I think will be quite interesting um, process. And I think it, it, in terms of themes, which like seem to naturally emerge from the things we talked about today, I think something worth remembering is just how fragile democracy is, how it's not a given, And how the more threats there are to it and the less, the kind of more fragile it is, the more fragile it becomes. Um, Yeah. And it's kind of a downward spiral or an upward spiral in terms of which way it's moving. And I think the way it's been moving globally in different ways recently has made a lot of people realize that these things aren't given. And like they're historically quite recent often and uh, the context is like ever changing. And so that's what we're going to focus on. Uh, fairly often talk about definitely definitely
0: I think we're living in a a moment um that is it feels significant I feel like there's a lot there's a lot happening I don't know whether it's that I'm looking at it more I'm kind of um more aware of it myself but I I think that when I bring it up in conversation with a lot of people people are aware and that's why it's sort of you know it's happening people are realizing the things that you've just said um Mm -hmm. and that kind of um this journey this sort of trip that we're taking um mm. is us sort of um trying to learn more and put it in a podcast and so yeah um uh it'll be it'll be very interesting um i mean i've learned a lot today i um i've learned a lot about both the subjects that we spoke about and also the best way to tackle them and figure it out. So yeah. um, I I think that, you know, we'll come into the next one already sort of 10 times mm. um, more than we did the, the first, but it's been, it's been really interesting and I'm glad that we're here doing it.
1: Yeah. And we're even, we're even of a generation, which like uh, is kind of coming into uh, like the majority, we're kind of transitioning into mm. the majority of positions probably less than we should be at this stage as in in, just in terms of like power and wealth and like how our generation and the generation following us are kind of immiserated and haven't kind of accumulated the same amount of capital that like previous generations thought was kind of their birthright and so a lot of things are up in the air a lot of things are being questioned so it's the perfect time to kind of trip to the left um learn as you go make mistakes and work out the best way of doing things so yeah i'm very excited about doing that with you and with everyone listening yeah i can't wait it's going to be amazing
0: it's um having this project is um long overdue isn't the right way of putting it but it, it it's it's, it's time has come yeah it's time it has come yeah 2021 that's all trip to the left that's all trip and beyond um yeah yeah no definitely definitely well um i think this is the moment where we do our usual goodbye which most people Mm -hmm. would consider an unusual goodbye and so yes until the next time you bring the cheese and i'll bring the crackers